read from Psalm 78. And uh, we're not going to take too much time this morning because I believe God's already done so many great things. But I do want you to see from the Word of God what He says about our role as, as this generation. And realize, even if you're not a parent, you do play a, a role in kids' lives. doesn't matter if you had those kids or not. There are children you're going to be affecting. Jesus went so far to say, woe to anybody who's a stumbling block for these little ones. So that's a negative way that you could influence a, a kid. He says, I mean, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and jump in the ocean than to, to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's not that fun to think about. But uh, you do have an effect on kids. But you can have a godly effect on them as well. Now, I'm not saying that you grab some kid in the mall and start spanking the kid. <laughs> or you just walk around church going, who can I father? Who can I father? You. Your dad's in the truck? Good. Come here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to catch a baseball. You know what I mean? Not appropriate. You, need to, you can't just adopt it, somebody else's kid. That's not going to happen. I mean, as long as they're, they want their own kid. They're not giving the kid up for adoption. You just can't grab them and say, I need to be a father to somebody. But what you can do is be an example for them, be a testimony to them, and open your mouth and testify about the goodness of God. Listen to what Psalm 78 says. This was a song written by Asaph, who is one of David's lead worshipers. Now we know when we say this was written by Asaph, how many of you know the Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed? So even though this bears the name of Asaph, we know that God is the author of this. The Holy Spirit, these are his thoughts and words through a man. And he says this, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Now, what does that mean, incline your ears? I mean, that, I mean tilt your head, right? That's what we're thinking, incline my ears. But really, what it means is, I mean, this, there's a difference between you just being here and kind of half listening. This means to lean in, to really pay attention, really open your ears to hear something. Incline your ears to what I'm about to say. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, when he says dark sayings, does that mean they're like really dark, really bad thoughts? No, what dark sayings means, there are things that haven't been fully understood before this. He says a parable, dark sayings, those are both ways to, to, to phrase something that, that maybe not everybody's understood or everybody has, has really got a grip on before. These are things that have kind of been hidden. He says, I'm about to tell you about them, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. He says, we will not conceal them from their children. Do you hear that? Because do you realize that not to speak is not just neutral? For you to just say nothing is not neutral. For you to say nothing about the goodness of God is concealing the goodness of God. You may say, well, I'm just not the kind of person that opens my mouth. When you go to work, you, I've said this plenty of times before, we're all different types of people. Some are quiet, some are loud. That's okay. God's got a place for you. But when you go to work, you work for a month and no one knows that God's been good to you. No one's got a clue. There's something broken. You're not just being neutral. You're concealing something from them. When God is good, you say he's good. You don't have to be loud. If you're loud, praise the Lord. Be loud in the spirit. But, you know, you don't have to be the, 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 the loudest talker at work. You don't have to be the one that interrupts. But you can be the one that says, I've got to tell you what God's done to me done for me. 
And he says, we will not conceal them from their children. Our fathers told us these things. And we're not going to hide them from our kids. We're going to hide them from the kids of this generation. But tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Here's our number one job for this next generation. Not just as parents, but as anybody here. We've got to tell them. Here's what we've got to tell them. Does it, does it say here that everything we're saying to them is get off the couch, stop running in the church, stop hitting your brother? No, it, I mean, that's important. But it's not the big thing. They did a study. It's called, and I, I think I mentioned this to you before. It's, I believe it's called the Hearts Rizzling Study. And they, they studied families who had just been in a cycle of uh, a cycle of poverty, a cycle of welfare, never really seemed to get out of it. The, the test scores were always really low, and they, they wanted to see why that was. And then they found some really high-achieving families that, that the income was high, the test scores were high, and they, they wanted to find out why does this keep reproducing every generation. And after three years of recording conversations in the house, and uh, more years of researchers listening to this and copying down what was said and finding out which words were which and how many words were said, they found out that in the, by the age, before the t- child turned four, that family that had the higher income, the higher test scores, that child had heard over three million more words than the one in the lower, than the house in the lower income, lower test scores. And through the rest of their life, Those test scores reflected that. The kid had a bigger vocabulary. The one who had heard more words had a bigger vocabulary. They had more diverse vocabulary. And what they also found is that they were being told different things. That kid who was kind of set up for a little bit of failure, that kid was hearing things like, stop doing that, get off of that, you leave that alone. That was what they were hearing all the time. These kids were not only being encouraged, but they were being read to. They were being taught to dream, taught to imagine, taught to speak, taught to express themselves, that they were being taught that they had a place, a value, and a purpose. And so, you know, I I know it's important for us to bring correction at the right time, but here's the main thing that your kids have to understand. They've got to understand the praises of the Lord. They've got to understand His strength and His wondrous works, and the number one source for that is their parents. i got to tell you how much it influenced me. I've told you this before, but when I'd get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom or whatever, and I'd hear my dad, he'd just gotten home from out of town, and he'd be snacking on something, and I'd hear him singing in the Spirit. I'd hear him praising the Lord when he thought no one could hear. That does something in the heart of a kid. Because you know what? I could hear him at church and just think, well, that's what you do at church. But I heard him at home praising the Lord. That affected me more than I can tell you. And as parents, this is going to affect us, not just as parents, but anybody. It says, tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. So everything you learn from God, everything He gives you is not just for you, You're meant to pass this on. And it says that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born. This is why when we talk about JL, when we talk about these little babies in the church, we understand that there's more going on in them than we even know. It says even before they're born, 
that they may arise and tell them to their children. What a heritage we have. And it says that the generation may come to know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise, tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. It's a wonderful thing from a young age to teach a child to put their confidence in God. It's sometimes a tough thing, and I'll tell you why. Because you want that kid to not be too crazy. I mean, we, we talk a big game before we have kids. We're all like, yeah, I want them to be adventurer. I want them to skydive. I want them to just go out and take the world by the horns. And then when they're born, we're like, you know, just stay inside. Did you put your rubber boots on? I hope you put your rubber boots on. Don't go too far. I remember with terror walking through West Edmonton Mall. Now I was a pretty good kid, right? I was okay. It's pretty good. I had moments of wandering. Not not bad wandering, just getting curious. I was a very curious child, always curious, right? And curiosity may have killed the cat, but the boy turned out okay, right? So <laughs> I remember walking through West Edmonton Mall. And all of a sudden, passing a child, I can, I can point out the place in West Edmonton Mall where I saw it. Because it's so etched in my memory. Seeing a child with a leash. <laughs> and being terrified. Just being, oh God, please, whatever I've done, I repent. I'll, I'll just be a good boy, I'll be a good boy. And I remember trying to distract my mom. Over here, over here, hey, look at me. So that she wouldn't get, look over there and go, what an idea. And it, you know, that thing may be embarrassing, but it makes sense for some kids. Trust me. I did not want to be that kid. Oh, my goodness, a kid on the leash, right? So we talk about them. We talk about them before they're born like we just want them to be the most outgoing, adventurous kid. And then they're born, and there's this feeling of responsibility, and you don't want them to wander too far. And, and that's good. That's protective. That's God put, you in, put that in you. But at the same time, there's got to be instilled to them from a young age that knowledge that we trust in the Lord. That they should put their confidence in God. And a confident child. You know, the world will tell you that, that confidence comes from believing in yourself. But I'm going to tell you, confidence comes from believing in God. You remember when we used to sing, Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques. Silly song, right? We sang it because it was French. But... And it satisfied some education thing. But I've heard a couple of schools, this is, this is the weird thing, heard a couple of schools change the words to that. Same tune, but here are the new words. I am special, I am special. Look at me, look at me. Now, that may seem good on the surface, but we're kind of already seeing the results of that now, <laughs> of kids that just think that they're the most special thing on the planet. They've got to know that they're unique. But there's a difference between why the world thinks you're unique and why we think you're unique. You see, I know I'm unique because of who God made me to be. I know that while he died for my freedom, he did not die for my independence. Without him, I'm nothing, but through him, I can be anything. And I know that my value comes from him, and my value is infinitely more than any human could ever give me. So when I say I'm special, it's because I am fearfully and wonderfully made by a loving God, a great creator. You see, that's a lot different than thinking I'm special because look at me, I got all these qualities. Because, you know, at some point that's going to fail you. At some point, that's going to let you down. 
And from a young age, we got to teach these kids, put your confidence in God. You're going to be a confident child. You're going to be the one that strolls into the kindergarten without fear. But at the same time, your confidence is in the living God. He's your hope. He's your strength. My first day at kindergarten, I came home and I cried. I cried. Because how many people? First day? Nobody the first day. Nobody got saved the first day of kindergarten. I was so ripped off, right? But the second day, five. So we're moving up. I was never, I wasn't like an outgoing, super outgoing kid. But I'd been taught, you know what? God in you is able. There's a spirit of God inside of you, even from a young age. And you can do everything he calls you to do. You can say what he wants you to say. So we should, it says they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now listen to this. It says, and not be like their fathers. Oops. We're not talking about godly fathers. But they were talking about, if you read the, the Psalms that come before this, Asaph spends a lot of time talking about their fathers in the wilderness. Talk about the Israelites that refused to go into the promised land. He talks about those that saw the works of God, but then forgot it and began to doubt and began to fear. He says, they should not be like those fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not prepare his heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Did you hear that? A generation who, that did not prepare its heart. Apparently, a heart can be prepared for what God has. You know, as parents, not just as parents, but as influencers of children, as people that they're going to see, you know, I'm not, I wasn't a parent until this year, and yet, I remember as a teenager, mothers coming up to me, and I, I used to have spiky hair. I used to play guitar with that spiky hair. That was back when spiky hair was cool. I don't know. I thought it was. And... I used to have mothers say, my boy wants to spike his hair like you. <laughs> my boy wants to play guitar like you. And there was just this knowledge that all, I mean, I'm not a parent. I'm not a dad, but already I'm having an influence on these kids. And all of you have that influence. There is a way to prepare a child's heart, to prepare all of our hearts for what God is going to do. When God sent John the Baptist, he sent him with this command, with this prophetic instruction, that all the Valleys would be lifted up and all the mountains would be laid low. That a path would be made in our hearts. It says, make your hearts straight. Make straight roads for him. That a way would be prepared for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. You can't replace the Holy Spirit in a kid's life. You can't be the Holy Spirit for them. But you can prepare their heart for what God is going to do. You can cultivate things in them. Bring them up. And train them in certain things. You see, the worst thing we could ever do. Kids are more like a plant than a building. You can't control everything that they're going to do. You can't control everything they're going to think. They're going to grow. And you know, like we have plants, sometimes if they start to grow crooked, you, you help correct that crookedness. You water them. You let them have some sunlight. You cultivate the ground around them so that they can have an environment to grow. That's much like a child. That's what God did for us. So when we're teaching those kids, there's, there's an environment that needs to be made where you say, here's where you can grow. I'm not quite sure what you'll grow up to be, but I know you'll grow up to be whatever God wants you to be. Do you know there's a scripture in the Bible, in the New Testament, that says he placed every member in the body just as he desired. 
You know, the shocking thing is he does not say he placed every member in the body just as mom desired. He placed every member in the body just as dad desired, just as grandma desired, just as the pastor desired. No, that doesn't work. Not even just as you desired. He says he placed you in the body as he desired. The hardest thing for a parent is trying to figure out and say, I know this is who I want them to be, but who does God want them to be? That's who they're going to be. Let's keep reading. It says in verse 9, The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. Their hearts weren't prepared, so they feared when battle came. You know, we see a young baby today. She's not facing battles, but someday she will. And you can equip them with all the education, all the money that they need, all the technology that they need, but will their heart turn in the day of battle? And it all depends on what you put in that heart. Joshua was ready to lead a generation because Moses spent the time to encourage him in the Lord. And Moses said over and over him, be strong and courageous, Joshua. God told Moses, recite to him what I've done with the Amalekites. Recite to him the battles I've won. Let's read the rest. It says, They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers. In the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. Then he led them with a cloud by day and all night with a light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. He brought forth streams also from the rock and caused waters to run down the rivers. Yet they still continued to sin against them, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart they put the God, their God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Now he goes on for several verses later, I encourage you to read it on your own, about all the things that God had done and the, the way they responded to it. But here's the point. What they needed to do was not just experience one more miracle. What they needed to do was to remember what God had already done. You see, when they got hungry, what does he say? He hit a rock and water came out. Don't you think he can give you meat? Jesus said to his disciples when they were hungry, they needed bread. He said, weren't you there? I multiplied the thou for thousands bread and fish. Weren't you there? Two different occasions I did this. Were you not there for that? Don't you think I could do that now? So important that we not conceal the works of God from this next generation. You may think, I've told this story too many times. They've heard it. It's just dad telling the story. It's just old uncle whoever telling this story again, this old story of what God has done. But tell them. God told Moses, put it in Joshua's ear that he may know to be strong and courageous. In the day of battle, he won't turn aside. His heart won't melt because he'll know who his God is. And the time came that Joshua and Caleb walked with the rest of the, ten, the 12 spies with the other 10. And they walked into the promised land and the rest of the ten were afraid and their hearts melted and they ran away and they, they gave a bad report. But Joshua and Caleb had been so reminded of the goodness of God that they saw the giants, 
and didn't flinch. They saw the fortresses and didn't flinch. They said, surely if God has given us this land, he will make them like our food and he'll give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Whoever you are this morning, you have a part to play in the next generation. Don't conceal the works of God. Tell them your stories. Speak the word to them. Tell them the stories from the word. Speak of the goodness of God and the power and the majesty of God. Demonstrate the love of God to them that they would put their confidence in God, that they'd know Him and the power of His resurrection. You know, too many young kids grew up around people that claimed to know God but had no love. Ones that, that said, I've been with God all day, now get away from me. And yet the book of 1 John says, if you claim to know God and you don't love, you're a liar. Don't just tell them the stories, show them. Show them. Let them pray for the sick. And as, as tempting as it is to just rely on that Tylenol, pray for them. I'm not saying don't give them the Tylenol. But you pray for them. Teach them from a young age that their confidence is in the Lord. Not in anything else but the Lord. We're going to have a generation of world changes. I believe it's a scriptural concept that we don't start from the beginning again. We start from where our parents left off. Joshua didn't have to go back to Egypt and start over again. They started right there and went into the promised land. Abraham made his servant swear, put your hand on my inner thigh. Awkward. Put your hand on my inner thigh because that was where, very near to the place, that God had caused his covenant to come out of Abraham. And he says, put your hand on my thigh and swear to me that when you find a wife for my son, you won't take him back to Canaan. Don't let him go back where I came from. I came all this way. I learned all of this. I walked through the wilderness. I walked to this place so that my son could start from a different place than I started from. Don't let him go back there. And I'm going to tell you what, what we're waiting for, what we're expecting is that these kids are going to start where we only dreamed of starting. They're going to go much further than we ever went. But we're going with them. We're not the generation that dies in the wilderness. We're the generation that gets to go in with them. They're going to lead us from time to time. We're going to let them lead. We're going to lead. They're going to lead. But we're all going to go up together. And I believe they're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We're going to experience it with them. Praise God. This is what we're waiting for. And so let's stop waiting and start, just start praising God in front of them. Start telling the works of God. Don't conceal God from this generation. Thank God, thank God, they're for great signs and wonders. Would you stand?